For these next three Sunday evenings, we're going to be looking at portions of the Gospel of Matthew. Tonight, the opening section of Matthew 13. Next Sunday night, the last section of Matthew 14. Two weeks from tonight, the opening section of Matthew 17. Reading then from Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears... Let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. What was sown on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. What was sown among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But what was sown on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. 
he produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Amen. It was uh, 39 years ago that my family and I moved from Pittsburgh here to DuPage County. That same summer, another couple moved here. Ed and Elle Beach finished their education down in Urbana and moved up close to where we lived. In the coming year, we got to know one another. And one year later, they left. In 1974, they headed off with Wycliffe Bible translators, were assigned to Guatemala, and they were given the task of translating the tech-to-tech language into the Bible, or the Bible into the tech-to-tech language, I should say. Well, we've had the privilege of supporting them ever since. They're still with Wycliffe. It took them about 25 to 30 years to complete that Bible New Testament translation. Well, what do you do if you've spent 30 years translating a New Testament? Now what? And they chose something that I didn't see coming. They chose to make a major shift in how they served, and they've been on loan from Wycliffe to Evangelism Explosion for the last 10 to 15 years. I'm telling you all that just because I want to read a little bit from their latest newsletter. What do you do? Some people still wonder what we do. Here's our recap. During our years of translation, we were sad to learn that after the monumental effort to translate the New Testament into minority languages around the world, many of the scripture portions are never used. We're now investing our efforts in training leaders to train their people how to use the scriptures to share their faith and disciple new believers. Well, there was a sentence that came leaping out to me from that that I don't normally see in missionary letters. The idea that I gave 25 to 30 years of my life to something And it didn't necessarily work because the goal wasn't to translate. The goal was to see people know the scriptures, come to know Christ, and follow him. Now, they've seen some fruit, but they're saying, in many cases, it doesn't happen. It doesn't follow through. I think that's what Jesus is talking about tonight in Matthew chapter 13. Let me give you just a bit of background. He's been active now for some time, teaching, helping people understand the kingdom of God. He's performed a whole series of miracles, and by those miracles, he's demonstrated that he really is a representative of God. And for a time, he was popular, but then opposition began to develop, And people had to take sides either for or against Jesus. And as Matthew develops it, it got worse. Uh, It became an issue about Beelzebub, Satan. Was he able to say these wonderful things somehow because Satan enabled him to say them? And there's a controversy. Well, it's almost as if there's a break between the first half of Matthew and the second half right here where chapter 13 begins. The big transition 
is that he starts telling stories. He starts telling parables. In fact, he tells seven of them just in this next chapter, a part of which we've read. Now, a parable, I've heard a variety of definitions of parables, but basically it's a story about life here on earth, something we can identify with, that illustrates some truth that God is revealing to us. And it wasn't that Jesus created that method. It was a very common Jewish method of teaching in his day. But it was such a drastic change for Jesus that it confused his disciples, his followers. And by the time you get down here to verse 10 of the chapter, they say, why do you speak to the people in parables? What's this all about? Why is it different this week than it was last week in the way you're handling yourself? And he gives two very different answers to the question because there are two different types of people who hear his stories. In the first case, there are people that he says are like Israel back in the days of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. They are people who who hear, but they refuse to accept what it is they hear from God. Even if it's clearly taught, they don't get it. And so for that group of people, the parables are kind of judgment. God's word, which has been directly given to them, is now backed off. It's withdrawn. It's hidden. And instead, you have these mysterious stories that cause you to puzzle about what he's saying. Now, these parables are also designed to help people realize that they don't have it all together. They don't really get everything that God is saying to them. Now, they also provide a, a bit of a protection for Jesus temporarily. It's one thing for him to say something very, very directly and have people accuse him of saying something. It's another thing for him to tell a story. It's a lot harder to accuse somebody when he's just told you a story. How can he be a heretic? How can he have blasphemed for telling you a story? So you have, on the one hand, this broader audience that has been hearing him and still hears his words. And he says, for them, it's like a shield. It just, it just sort of keeps them out and away. But then there's a second audience, and that's the audience that's asking him, what are you doing, and why are you doing this? And these are the folks who are in close. And here the goal is not to keep them at a distance, but to help them really draw near, help them really understand things. And all, all through the center section, he's teaching these ideas that the stories are going to help them see more truth. They're going to help them understand it better. And so you have these seven different stories in this chapter that are explaining the nature of God's kingdom. What is it that God's doing now, and what's he going to do in the future? Listen to the stories, and you'll get it. Now, anytime there's an assembly of people that's gathered in a public way to listen to the Bible open you're probably going to get both effects within that group. Some are disciples. They really 
are there to grow or here tonight to grow. And you expect that God's going to teach you something more about how he's working in his world. But probably among them will be some who are more superficial and who find themselves just saying, I don't get it. What was that again? So the effect really is that, and if there's one sentence that summarizes what I'm saying tonight, is this. We need to be careful. We need to be careful anytime the word of God is spoken into our lives about how we receive it, how we respond to it. Because differing responses lead to differing results. Now, in this first story that we call the parable of the sower, there are four different kinds of response, aren't there? And I'm just going to walk you through the four kinds. The first result is nothing. Nothing. Verse 4, he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. End of story. It's over. Nothing happens. Now, in that setting, in that first century, you know that the paths often were right along the edge of the field. They might even go down through the field at times. But what you would speak of as a path or a road is usually really up against where the uh, grain is growing. But, of course, it's a hard surface. You know, there's been no attempt to... Uh, soften the surface of the path itself. And along would come one who wants to sow. Now, sometimes I understand that that might actually be a, a head of cattle and you put a bag over the back of the cattle and stick a hole in the bag and just sort of let the cow wander loose and see how it works. More commonly, probably what we're used to, the idea of taking a, a bag of grain, putting it over your shoulder, and reaching in and grabbing a handful and throwing it this way, another handful in this way, and more systematically distributing the seed. Either way, some of it is not going to end up where you want it. Some of it is going to end up on that path. The birds come and it's gone. Now, usually Jesus doesn't bother explaining his stories. This one's unusual that he does. So down at verse 19, he said, well, let me explain that to you, just in case you missed it. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. In the story, the soil wasn't ready to receive the seed, so the birds grabbed it. In the application, there are people who hear the gospel, but they don't take it in. Satan quickly grabs the message, and it's gone. Now, when you think about how our culture is different from the first century, how they heard a few voices, a few words, and how we hear multitudes of words all day, whether it's through the radio dial or the TV channel or Facebook or many, many different ways, messages are coming at us. And today, the words about Jesus compete with a thousand other messages. And frankly, just to survive, you and I, have all, we've all learned that somehow we have to tune out most of those messages. We don't hear things. If they don't seem to have a bearing on my life right now, I don't hear it. 
Maybe it was loud, maybe it was soft, maybe it was in print, but it doesn't penetrate. Now, the trouble with that, I mean, we have to do it, but the trouble is we often then tune out things that we should receive. Some of the good things get lost as well. We miss the words that are relevant to our needs. So, if we're a typical assembly, by now I've been tuned out by some because something else has grabbed you. It might be that you heard, felt that little vibration in your pocket and you wondered who was trying to communicate with you. Or it, it could be anything, you know, what happened this afternoon, what's gonna, what you're going to see at the Olympics an hour from now, any of those things. But you no longer hear what's being said up here. Very typical. But the person who is this kind of soil may be polite, may not be polite, just doesn't hear it. In the story, this is the person who's been stepped on so many times that, that a wall has been built up so that nothing penetrates any longer. Or maybe the person who has absorbed so many experiences and so many values and so many influences from out there that there's no longer any sensitivity to the world where Jesus is king. So the first result, absolutely nothing. The word is gone, and no spiritual life remains. The second result. The second result is called falling away in verses 5 and 6. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no roots. In this case, rock is involved. I started out as a solo pastor 45 years ago in western Pennsylvania. By the time I got there, the congregation already knew that they wanted to put a significant new wing on the building that they had. They wanted to put a new sanctuary on at the other end. And it was soon authorized, and the uh, construction man, the manager from our church, was ready to make it happen, the contractor. But the first step was to answer a question. We knew that down below where we wanted to put it was solid rock. And this was to be, you know, two-story, lower-level basement, upper-story sanctuary. Would we be able easily to get down for that lower basement? How quickly would we hit the rock? To our great relief, it was just far enough down that we could do it. As soon as you got to about where you need to be, the solid rock was there. Rock can be an asset or it can be a liability. Now, in Jesus' story, the rock is very, very close to the surface. No room for the roots to grow, as he tells it. And so when the seed is sown, that, that plant came up quickly, but there was no source of moisture, no way for it to continue to grow. Now, he may have been playing off an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 1, which describes that the godly person is the one who has the roots go down 
and reach that stream of water and constantly draw water from the nearby stream. But in this case, no place for the roots to go, and the sun comes. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched. Now, most of the time we would tell a story like this and it would be sort of out there. After the last two months, it doesn't feel so much out there, does it? We understand the sun coming up and scorching things very quickly. But Jesus is telling in this story a sad reality that though we wish every person who was born as a spiritual baby would grow to maturity, sometimes as we watch, they don't make it. That's still true. It's wonderful when people respond to the gospel, but it still hurts when we watch some of them fall after a short time. But Jesus tells us in the story that some will stumble when the pressure's applied, that there can be oh, the sudden shock of finding that this Christian life is, is very different from what we expected. You know, there are some people who just don't understand, who don't count the cost before they make that commitment to Jesus. It's no wonder then that it's hard to hear the parts of the New Testament that continually warn us that we'll have trouble as Christians, that we might have persecution, that we'll suffer affliction, that we'll be under pressure. Now, the problem with this second type of person is that when those pressures come, when those afflictions come, there's no source of nourishment. There's nothing to hold them up to make them strong because you can't continue without roots. In the spiritual realm, maybe it's the person who who tries to get by with, I don't know, one sermon a week or one sermon a month or nothing very much in the way of intake. No, this parable is teaching that somehow we have to get our roots down into the scriptures where we can draw the life that we need. And in our day, that can be a multitude of different ways, can it? The media is so available to us with the Christian message. So the second result, they fall away. The third result, it's called fruitlessness. They don't quite make it either. In verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Now in this case, the soil's good. No problem of rock an inch underneath. But the farmer fails to take care of it by getting rid of the thorns. I've told you before that I'm an Iowa farm boy who, you know, it didn't take. I left when I was 18. My sister has stayed in Iowa all of her life, and she married a professional farm manager. Much of his career, he had a number of farms that he oversaw for the owners. I remember one summer when at our family farm in Iowa, the, the weeds were growing. And I probably said, oh, isn't that interesting? The weeds are growing. My brother-in-law took this very, very seriously. This was an important problem and had to be dealt with. I'm, 
I'm sure our tenants that summer grew tired of hearing messages from my brother-in-law. He wasn't about to let those weeds come up and choke out the plants. I had sort of watched it from a distance. I wasn't too involved. But, you know, I used to live in Woodridge for 13 years, and probably a year after we moved from there to Elmhurst, I went back to the old house because I wanted to see how the new owner was taking care of the property. Probably shouldn't have gone back. He had a very different value system than we had. We had a little mint off in the corner of the yard. You know, it's a good thing to have a little bit mint. He didn't know the word little. You know, it had pretty well taken over the whole garden, enough that we could have mint tea here for the rest of the year with no problem at all. What was sown among thorns has its problems. Jesus says in verse 22, when he makes the application, what was sown among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. That word here, worry, literally it has the picture of being drawn in different directions. You probably understand that. When it's hard to focus, it's because you're being drawn in different directions. Worry does that. Now, I don't know that Jesus was thinking about anything very profound here. He was just thinking about the ordinary things of life, as I read it. You know, the teacher who has to get the grades, papers graded and the grades turned in, the, the employee who's being pushed by the supervisor for more production, the mother who's trying to watch the kids and get the washing and the meals done at the same time, the, the husband who couldn't find that generator a month ago when it was really, really important, the repairman, that com-ed man who had to please thousands and thousands of us, and no matter how many hours he worked, we weren't pleased with him. These are all the cares of this life, and we all get entangled with them. That's just part of life. But the problem or the challenge to meet these things without letting them choke our spiritual lives, he calls them thorns. He speaks of it as the deceitfulness of wealth. Now, if anybody understands the deceitfulness of wealth, it has to be those of us who live in DuPage County. I know I used to say when I first came here, that every few months I had to get out of the county for a while just to remember what was normal. Because our lifestyle in this county is not normal, it's not typical. It's not the way people live in most of the rest of the world. It's so easy to get used to this lifestyle. The lifestyle that I call of the rich and not so famous. And Jesus says that our wealth can deceive us. We can begin to think that wealth is at the core of reality. We can't get in the tragic situation of trying to serve God and money, of giving the world far more attention than we give to what God has to say to us. So that third group of people doesn't do so well either. But finally, let's come to the fourth group. Because the fourth result is fruitfulness. In this story, the soil's ready, the seed is sown, the crop's produced. 
in the application, the word was heard, the word was understood, and the word bore fruit in lives. Now, this is a normal response. It's what's supposed to happen. When I used to have some ownership of the farm in Iowa, and it produced over 100 bushels of corn, we said, okay, that's normal. It's what we expect. It's what's supposed to happen year after year, and that's part of the huge shock in the summer of 2012. It's not normal. Jesus is picking up in his story a, a theme that occurs often in the Bible, the, you know, Psalm 1 with putting your roots down with the tree to get the water. John 15 where the vine and the branches. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. 2 Peter 1, add to this and this and this, these qualities so that you'll not be unfruitful. This theme is common in the Scripture. It's normal when we're followers of Jesus that we will be fruitful. Now, just before I close, I want you to note what Jesus did not say in the story. He did not tell us how many people will be in each of the four categories. It would be natural for us to think, well, there'll be 25% in this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, so 25% will come out good. No, he doesn't say that. He just says there will be four categories. The goal, of course, the desire, the prayer, is that that fourth category is really, really large and the other categories are small. Well, how far are we? We're in month eight of this year. How's the year going? Has this been a year where God has been pouring his scripture into you? Has this been a year where you're seeing fruit in your life? No, by the grace of God. That's the whole point. It's intended to be an encouragement. By the grace of God, you can be a fruitful person. And this can be a fruitful church. And we can expect to grow in the months ahead. We can expect to grow as individuals. As the ministries around here begin in another month, we can expect that those ministries will be fruitful. We can anticipate as we are faithful in sharing the scriptures in this community that there will be people who are able to hear and who will respond and who will become part of this Christian church. May God be pleased to make this next chapter a blessed and fruitful life for all of us. Now, let me admit... I've known for a long time that the style of preacher I am is very much meat and potatoes, very little in the way of artistry or, you know, really being creative. So once in a while I like to look and say, well, what would somebody do with this passage that really was an artist? This time I found uh, radio preacher Steve Brown. Found out he preached on this. Didn't sound at all like my sermon. Here's the way he closed. It's the soil that makes the difference. When you share Christ, expect the board, that's category one, the brash and the bombed. The board will yawn and wonder what all the fuss is about. 
the brash will get excited about the news today and go home and forget it. The bombed will listen, count the price, and decide it's too much. But there will also be the blossoms. They won't be full grown yet, but they're growing. They haven't given all, forth all their fruit, but it's happening. So you have a choice as you leave tonight. You can take the meat and potatoes as I've tried to dish it out to you, or you can go home and think about the bored, the brash, the bombed, and those who blossom.